Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right. All right. Good morning to all of you Cafe Bitcoiners. It's another awesome day with a bright orange future. And we are freaking fired up to share it with you guys. Good morning, Dom Bay. Good morning, Ant, Jacob, Tomer, all you Cafe Bitcoiners. Good morning. Yellow Cat in the audience inviting you up. That song Autumn. has a different feel today, huh? Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, we got a, some stuff to talk about today, do we not? Mm-hmm. Why did something happen? Well, uh, yeah, I suppose. You know, I guess there's this presidential candidate out there talking about backing the United States dollar with Bitcoin, amongst other hard monies. I never in my lifetime expected that to happen. He must be down in the polls. <laughs> More like down in fundraising. Was but, not on my bingo card. Yeah, still, still, uh, still a sight to see, regardless of the motive. Pretty, pretty interesting. Hundred percent is definitely still, still very, very interesting to see. Um, but I mean, let's be real. We, we know politicians, we know how they work, we, we know the reality of our uh, political arena, and, you know, their incentive is to get votes. Peter, are you trying to kill my topic, like, within 30 seconds no, of starting no, 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 discussing no. it? <laughs> Vibe killer. God damn, bro. Come on, man. When we when we have that when we have that that fun party we're gonna have at Pacific Bitcoin we're gonna all get together and Peter is not gonna be notified because he'll kill the vibe. I thought that was reserved. Walk in, he'll be like, "You guys are so fucking." I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Peter coming in like the uh, brother in Jerry Maguire. I told you he's too small. I keep telling you he's too small to play in the NFL. I mean, okay, so let's just be honest here, though. You know, he has not put his money where his mouth is. So I'm not convinced he understands Bitcoin. You know, that's all I'm saying. Like, if you understand Bitcoin, then you hold more than 0.1% of your net worth in Bitcoin, and you probably have it in self-custody. I doubt. I doubt he has it in self-custody. And he's only holding, like what, like 0.1% of his net worth? I mean, this guy does not understand Bitcoin. I'm sorry to say. He's just grifting. So you guys are looking like fools believing what he's saying. Who said we think, believe what I he said? His message really is that we necessarily believe that what he says. I think his message is that 
this is something that is is has never happened before and we have a presidential candidate that has put bitcoin on their platform yeah well, we it, ha- it has happened before it happened last election cycle with yeah yang or whatever so it, it actually has also rock years <laughs> it's like you guys have fucking like squirrel brains man like don't remember four years ago <laughs> like come on guys actually I, I didn't i didn't remember four years ago thanks yeah, for bringing that up i didn't either here's here's my point though if i didn't remember four years ago it's either because i got i've got bad memory or maybe those it's the perfect it's the can perfect i finish cycle. talking the for fuck's sake cycle. Mustache Apple for your cycle, right? Hey, Mustache I mean, this Apple, was the new. you're interrupting me, Mustache Apple. So what I was saying is that maybe it didn't register to me because I didn't think those guys' footprint was important enough. Maybe I just blew it off in my mind and I was like, it's whatever. Like, who the fucking cares if Brock Pierce runs for president? Jesus Christ, who is that idiot anyway? My point is, <laughs> RFK, that dude has got a footprint. That dude really. has got it. No, it, I, I believe he does. In history, he does. Look at he's the descendant of, of JFK. Hey, Alex. And that guy went hard at, at fiat money. Do, do you think do you think that uh, RFK has a bigger footprint or that Larry Fink has a bigger footprint? Well, nowadays, obviously Larry Fink. But that's that's not my point. I think I think it's good for Bitcoin. People are like, oh, you know, this doesn't matter or you guys are putting too much. Look, I don't believe anything the guy says and I don't even really care. Uh, whether he, okay, so to me, it's like, watch what they do, not what they say, especially with a politician. However, just the fact they're having the conversation, man, I think is really bullish and he's not the only one. You've got Vivek out there talking about it. You've got DeSantis out there talking about it. Now, whether these guys will win or not, I have no idea. But I think it's important to, it, it's, you know what? It's like, it's, it's a marker on the way. This is, it's a super signaling marker. You know, there's this gigantic swarm of fish in the ocean and there's these little markers that are guiding the fish towards the, towards the underwater jet stream, whatever the hell that thing is called. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly it. So you have to recognize that 99% of the population are these little fish. We Sometimes we call them sheep, right? But it's the same idea where basically they're just guided by their shepherds and they just, you know, they look at the headlines, they see what's in the headline, they repeat what's in the headline, and they don't really have any thoughts for themselves. So when they see Bitcoin in the headline over and over again, and they say, oh, presidential candidates, you know, talking about Bitcoin, that's interesting. Then it starts to 100%. get in their minds, right? And that, and that's the point, right? I mean, the point is, yes, it is, it is becoming more of a main stage issue. It's becoming discussed a lot more on mainstream media and all this shit. So it's, it's starting to seep into, you know, the, the larger social story, right? I mean, everyone's, <laughs> it seems like everyone's like, everyone's at least got it on their radar now, which is interesting. Yeah, 100%. The uh, I was looking at the fundraising numbers the other night, uh, just out of curiosity, and a good comparison for folks to understand is if you compare the election to companies trying to get you to buy a cheeseburger at their spot or, you know, vote for them, you have McDonald's and Burger King that have an ad campaign to get you to go to their spot. And then there's a very small home mom and pop burger shop, not much advertising budget. 
Now, what Wicked was saying, you know, hey, he's just down in the polls or trying to fundraise. Um, so they're going to imagine that small little burger shop saying, we got to get Bitcoiners to come through. And if we advertise that we take Bitcoin, then we can get them to stop at our shop. Regardless of the motive of RFK, the fact that there is a motive directed at Bitcoin, whether good, bad or indifferent, whether from a place of true understanding or belief or not, that's still a signal and bullish for Bitcoin that it is something that is uh, available to be utilized as a as a as a strategy. Hundred percent. Yeah, but if that mom and pop, you know, cheeseburger joint doesn't stop using seed oils, then it doesn't really matter if they're accepting Bitcoin. All right. Here's the thing, though. We want. I, I want to see mass adoption. Mission for my, for this show right here to me is teaching the masses and, and educating the masses and getting the masses aware. Do you understand how far we have come in the last 15 years? Before Bitcoin, there was a couple of gold and silver bugs out in the middle of the wilderness, you know, freezing to death, screaming at the moon, going, the fiat money is broken. What's <laughs> wrong with you people? Don't you see this? And no one, no one gave any craps about it and now it's a matter of of discussion amongst presidential candidates we have come so far guys yep i wear my oh sorry tomer go ahead i just wanted to say yep like i i agree with alex it's, it's important to understand this in the right contexts it's not that uh anything is a done deal but take, take a look at the trajectory, take a look at who's discussing it, what they're discussing, uh, you know, the credibility of, of the argument and the momentum of, of what's happening, like changes afoot. And it's not to say there won't be setbacks and there won't be failures along the way, but there's, there's way more effort, there's way more discussion, there's way more awareness, there's way more rationale that, that is accepted by way more people. That's, that's how things happen happen that's how change eventually takes takes hold so yep and there's there's effects to this just real quick sorry peter i'm just going to say like um, rfk came through the the uh, west coast and i had a council member reach out to me to go hey i know he's not really going to win but they reached out and he was talking about bitcoin let's talk about it okay even if that's the only effect like wow that's amazing that's that's a that's an incredible effect um, you know, even if he doesn't win and that's, I'm sure that's happening, you know, a lot of places across the country. So I wear my, I wear my Bitcoin insignia hat, um, around, and that's a good thing because it, people see it and they be, they begin to associate with it, you know, just even if it's subconscious, that's a good thing. But if somebody, if somebody sees that hat and then goes and buys Bitcoin and, um, and then tries to send it to self custody and ends up uh, burning it, well, that's not such a good thing. So, you know, even though this is, I think I agree with everybody up here that overall, this is a good thing. I think sometimes we have to be careful for what we wish for and that there are definitely downsides to even, um, the, the, the propagation of, of this idea through through politics if the you know if they can't get the right message out and 
and lots of people receive the wrong message, that's not necessarily such a good thing. Yeah, I Me. completely disagree. I completely yeah, disagree. Yeah, I also completely disagree. Go ahead, Tomer. What do you want is, is almost my question. Like, do you, do, do you want there to be some orderly progression where somebody comes in and they know everything that's right and, and everybody starts to listen to them? Like, that's just not realistic. Right? What what is realistic is that there's an environment of chaos and different people become aware of different things at different points in time and talk about them and that and that's what the nature of progress of progress is. Uh, it, it progress is not a linear, uninterrupted, smooth process. It is a chaotic process, and if you look throughout history at every technological revolution at every technological breakthrough it doesn't just come on and people adopt it without there being tremendous calamity and and fraud and and mistakes and error yeah and mis- and mistakes and so what you're witnessing is progress and and it's the nature of it and and in that process is going to be mistakes is going to be setbacks is going to be all sorts of things but what you are witnessing is the process of pro- of progress and and if you just get upset every time you experience it because it's not perfect it's not exactly the way in an ideal universe it would be you're making you're making the mistake of of expecting utopian unravelings of everything and utopia is not the way that things progress um it's it's, it was nobody's journey here that it was just, oh, it was so obvious from the beginning and I didn't make any mistakes. And it was, you know, and there was one person who guided me and gave all the right answers. It's like, that's just not the way things work in in reality. So what we're witnessing is progress and and it is good. It's, it's as good as it can be. That's not to say it doesn't mean we shouldn't be cautious. It doesn't mean we shouldn't point out mistakes. But it is to say in the scheme of things, this is these all these events are huge forward momentum and it's not like which one do you want larry fink or rfk it's like both players are in the arena right they're both it, you got both and you got all sorts of other things going on too and there's a dynamic there's a compounding effect if somebody hears i hear blackrock is trying to launch a bitcoin etf i hear a presidential candidate a kennedy is trying is talking about backing the us dollar with bitcoin that okay, alone quick. Yeah. Tesla Tesla bought Bitcoin. Tesla sold Bitcoin. Tesla now promotes shitcoin. Okay, quick story time. Uh, there was a time when I was a younger guy. I used to hang out with this group of dudes that would go skiing. And there was this one guy that joined the group who didn't know how to ski. This guy was about four foot five, but he was a goddamn energizer bunny. He was like a little nuclear, human nuclear reactor. He's like bouncing off the walls. And this guy's approach to life was... Whoever makes the most mistakes fastest wins. Now, this guy started out like, you know, taking lessons, bunny slopes and all that kind of stuff. And the, and the instructor's like, okay, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. This is how you stop. He's like, I don't care about stopping. I just want to go fast down the hill. All right. And what ended up happening is, is that this guy was an absolute maniac. But when you took the time that he started to learn and how fast he progressed, his his theory worked. I mean, he he, he might have killed himself with that approach. I, I grant it, right? But it worked. I mean, the guy learned really, really fast. And you got to give people room to learn. People are going to make their own mistakes. Unfortunately for human beings, you can tell them things all you like. Will they learn that? Some might, if they're wise. A lot of people 
have to smash their face into a brick wall a couple of times first, though. And that's just humans. And Alex, that, that takes being made, that takes um, being made a fool of, putting your reputation on the line, putting your health, you know, your well-being on the line to get to that point. And there's a lot of similarities there, you know, uh, yeah. just to what someone like an RFK would be doing, regardless of what you think, why, you know, there is... Surely, um, the guy cares in some fashion about what he's doing and the that team is around a hundred, hundred percent true. And that also, by the way, I suspect is the reason why a lot of people from the legacy world can't admit that Bitcoin is a good thing because many of them, when it first came out, they had a knee jerk reaction to it and they said some things. And now if they say, oh, Bitcoin's a good thing, they're going against what they their, their initial knee-jerk reaction. And that the in order to do that, you have to be able to say, I was wrong and shelf your ego. And that is a huge, huge problem for a lot of people when it comes to Bitcoin. I, I literally had a good friend who is quite smart, um, comes from that world, more in the VC side. And she is like, and I was like, oh, you should get, into Bitcoin, like you're smart, but you just had some wrong assumptions. I said it in a nicer way, but it's basically, you know, that, and it was in a positive tone. And she's basically said, it's, yeah, it's too late for me. I just can't because like, I think she had so much of her ego invested in being like a no coiner. It was brutal. So. Yeah. To this day, there are people who I consider to be extremely intelligent people who originally said some things about, and some of these are mentors of mine, who originally said some things about Bitcoin, that as it's turning out, maybe they were wrong, but it's very, very difficult to admit that. Yeah. I think it's also because they're, sorry, real quick. I think it's also because they're first principles thinkers. And so if you have wrong assumptions and you're first principles thinker, you don't look at the evidence, right? You're just kind of, it's like the N versus the S in um, in Myers Briggs personality test. We actually have a better chance look convincing people who are more evidence based, which thankfully is more the rest of the world now that we have all this evidence and social proof that Bitcoin works and is useful. So um, I think talking to your friends, Alex, or or my friends who are from the TradFi world or whatever, and they've already made up their mind. They made up their mind five years ago, 10 years ago, two years ago. It's, um, it's, they may be the last adopters, unfortunately, despite how smart and successful they are. Alex, you know, you know, Alex knows this well in the military world or like the fire world. We know how this ends when you make a plan and you refuse to uh, take in new information and you stick to that plan relentlessly and blindly, even though people may be screaming at you like, this is not a good plan, right? You're talking like Pickett's Charge. You're talking like, bad idea, dude. Like, this ends badly. Um, and so it's human nature. You know, a lot of people, it's tough to reevaluate their plan, admit they're wrong, redesign everything, adjust it, etc. There's that saying that no plan actually survives contact with the enemy. Right. And you must adjust. I mean, Tyson, was it Tyson that said, like, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the face or something like that? And it's like, yes. in the world that we're in today, things are changing so fast. The rate of change and the, ra the rate of everything 
changing is accelerating actually it's getting faster and faster and faster so if you are slow to adapt if you're slow to like look as a as an adult i reserve the right to change my mind i think everybody should just take that position be like okay look i have this information and my information may be right and may be wrong but based on the information i have this is what i think but if new information shows up i reserve the right to change my mind and if you want to go oh well you said this a, lo- a while ago it's like grow the fuck up Sure, I said that, but I learned something different. I was wrong, and I changed my mind. So I think it comes down to human nature. Like human nature, there's a lot of pride and ego, right? I know people who know Bitcoin at one dollar, and even when I was talking to them at three thousand dollars a coin, they were so adamant about not being wrong. They didn't want to. They didn't want to participate because they say. I'm gonna stand as a no coiner because I just want to be right, and that's the problem with a lot of people. Because one one of the more important skills in life is to be able to adapt, adaptability. Like you need to have that as you see the environment, the climate, whatever situation changes, new information comes in. But because people's ego and pride is so strong. They don't. They they just don't want to do it, and I think that's a big problem. And I think Tao, this. Sorry, if I can just say, like to Tao's point on this, there was um, uh, the physicist Max Planck referring to this in science. He said, "A new scientific truth does not triumph by convincing its opponents and making them see the light, but rather because its opponents die and a new generation grows up that is familiar with it." And wow. I think I think like this is. You know, even in the face of scientific evidence proving new scientific theories, you still have people clinging to clinging to the past, and so science advances mm. funeral by funeral. Do, is, uh, that's what do you know what it, this reminds me of? Is it reminds me of that that model of of the that the universe uh, orbits the Earth? You remember that? Like there was a time where scientists believe quote scientists trust the science believed that all the celestial bodies actually orbited the Earth. And it wasn't until it looked that way, right? Yeah. And it wasn't until we were standing still. Yeah. And it wasn't until these guys figured it out using math that that wasn't the case. And then when they presented it, I think some of those guys met, uh, you know, not the greatest fates because the people, the incumbents, the quote experts were like, no, this is not the way. Interesting. Wicked. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, what Tao was saying there, I think it kind of ties together with what we were saying in the beginning, right? So people don't want to be wrong and, you know, they, they have a hard time swallowing their egos. Um, and I think with Bitcoin, you know, right now it's still pretty niche. Like even though it's starting to find its way into mainstream media and the general, you know, public domain, right? It's It's seeping its way into it. It's still pretty niche. I mean, you know, 99% of people don't, actually own any bitcoin and then even fewer actually actually own bitcoin in self in self-custody yeah exactly so like you know no one really very very few people really understand and or hold bitcoin and so the vast majority of people who are naysayers and no coiners and you know people who are saying it's not going to work um i mean they're in the majority so like they still feel like they're right you know and i think eventually the tides will turn and it'll be quick. It'll be like a pretty quick turning where 
all of a sudden you're going to have these super signalers and we're starting to see them already pop up where it's like, okay, well, that guy's actually pretty successful and pretty smart and pretty wealthy. And <laughs> he sees something in Bitcoin. So like what's going on there? And then you just get, you know, oh, that country's adopting it. That's uh, strange, <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like these things kind of just, they, they build up and the dominoes get bigger and bigger. And then eventually it's just kind of like, boom, all of a sudden you're in the minority if you don't <laughs> think Bitcoin's going to succeed. And that's when you're going to see all of these people kind of flip because again, they want to be right. You know, they don't, they don't really care about like, you know, I mean, I don't know, like they, they just, they care about their ego. And as soon as they start to realize that like, oh shit, everyone's actually flipping, I need to flip too. Jump in there, guys. Do you guys feel good? You shut the critics down. I just think people need to be careful. Like, it's exciting news. And, you know, we, we've had Bitcoin candidates before, uh, but we haven't had, like, this many. And, you know, we hear this concept about being a single-issue voter, which is laughable. I've said it's laughable. And, yes, you want to support Bitcoin at all costs and whatever. But, you know, what do you do when suddenly, you know, four out of the five candidates are all supporting Bitcoin. I mean, it's like now you're back having to figure all this stuff back out. And and it's like people are desperate. I remember this from the last cycle when, you know, suddenly Michael Saylor and these others, you know, Fidelity were getting involved with Bitcoin. And it's like, you know, the bear market was so long and protracted. You just wanted something big to pump your bags and, you know, it's like now we're going into the election cycle and we've got multiple candidates talking about Bitcoin platforms. But it's not like these lizards haven't lied to us over and over before. These guys don't care about us. They don't care about you. You know, they, they maybe care about their constituents and their their needs in the sense that, uh, you know, they need the votes to stay in power. I'm not saying that they didn't start out that way or that some contingency of these politicians doesn't start out that way. But, you know, this power corrupts. Absolutely. We know that. And I mean, there's been instance after instance after instance of these politicians telling you one thing to get your vote and then they get in and, you know, they don't ever even do it. And then this guy specifically is kind of all over the board. Like when I listen to his, you know, beliefs and the things that he's standing for, like, you know, I agree with some of it. Some of it is, you know. On, on the side that I don't really agree with as much. But what it says to me is that if he really does get traction, then it's an interesting undercurrent that some of those values on that side, maybe people are kind of getting tired of that stuff and maybe they're looking for something different. We saw some of that in the last election. And speaking of the last election, I mean, given how all this stuff has been playing out around here, I wouldn't be surprised whatever happens. But I highly doubt that RFK, if elected, is going to be able to successfully back the U.S. dollar with the Bitcoin. And I mean, as far as removing capital gains tax, like that's literally all he had to say. That would have been almost more powerful just to, you know, come up with that one. It feels to me like he's just kind of pandering and going all in on Bitcoin like this. It's going to be interesting to see, but I'm just saying people need to be careful. Yeah, he's trying to get those votes, man. 
There's zero doubt about that. Yeah, if I, were, if I were to become president, I would force the entire world. I would use the U.S. military and force the entire world to adopt Bitcoin. And we'd just go on a Bitcoin standard because I would just point all the guns at all the naysayers. And we would all live on a Bitcoin standard and it'd be beautiful. And then, as a matter of fact, I just I just dumped the dollar because Bitcoin is the only money that we need. And this Apple, is why Apple is wicked this morning. The 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 mustache Apple would be an absolute tyrant. <laughs> like you, you guys are going to use Bitcoin whether you like it or not. <laughs> so hey, along along the lines of what And is saying, I I've you know from the moment of at the conference when RFK came out and and anytime a, a an elected official kind of endorses I, I endorses Bitcoin, I agree with the with the caution. You know, we were in that space the other night and and like. I don't think it's good if the goal is widespread adoption, the more social issues Bitcoin becomes attached to indirectly or directly, um, that will affect adoption. Um, and so, you know, again, here's a political thing we thought about. I, I kind of was thinking about this and we talked about it last night. Rather than attached to a candidate, we know that in the 2024 election um, it, that the election will come down to key districts in battleground states. I'd love to see an initiative from the Bitcoin community of front running that uh, phenomenon, which we know statistically and mathematically will happen and hitting those districts up and just basically dropping SAS at education like crazy. Because what that will do is that will make Bitcoin a front and center issue regardless of the candidate. It doesn't matter what their issues are, et cetera. If you're trying to win a district, and you guys know for what, for those listening, what I'm talking about is when you're watching the news, you know, towards the end of the election, when they start sending all their all-stars into this like small city in this state, and they're just going nuts, right? Like, like having rallies, getting voters, et cetera. You, we know what those will be oftentimes far ahead of the election. And so if, if Bitcoin became front and center in those small districts, um, then, then the voters there would be asking hey you're coming into our area like what's your thoughts on this just i mean that's just a, an example of of a political involvement that's far less attached to social issues or individuals and makes the issue uh relevant for all that are involved i 100 percent agree with that we have to figure out ways as bitcoiners to attach bitcoin to issues not the people but the issues and the and the reason why is is that you ever wonder, like, you, you guys remember that um, there was a tweet recently, and it was a, it was basically a meme. It was kind of a cartoon. It was talking about the, the cost of everything going up so much. And that tweet thread exploded. It, the last I looked at it, it had like 9 million views, tons of people participating. But if you read the thread, you get a feel for the way humans think. And very, very, very few people are able to decipher the reason the prices increase. And part of that is all of the propaganda and nonsense and bullshit that people are taught about why prices rise. You've got Christine Lazard out there in mainstream media, you know, implying things like, well, the prices of things are increasing because we have a climate crisis. This just confuses the shit out of people. Nobody understands what's actually happening with prices and nobody understands the money. You've got 
quotes from from people involved in banking going back hundreds and hundreds of years who basically saying very few people can analyze what's actually happening here. Right. But what do people care about? They care about their main issues in their life. So we need to figure out ways to attach Bitcoin to energy, to attach Bitcoin to environment. It's good for the environment. You notice the narrative is, in my opinion, the narrative is slowly shifting. Even though you have mainstream media coming out with articles that say, well, one thing. But uh, in general, the, the quality of the data and the content in the other direction is hands down a thousand times better. So, yeah, absolutely. We need to attach it to issues that people give a hoot about. Freedom. Bitcoin's freedom. See, to me, it's, 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 it's freedom candidates versus lizard candidates. Like, if you can make it about the issues, that's the key. It's like, answer me the question right now. Are you a presidential candidate that is pro-lizard despot, or are you a presidential candidate that's pro-freedom? Hmm? That's where we need to go with that. Yeah, that's spot on, Alex. You know, like you said, people, until it hits their pockets, they won't pay attention to it. And then even then, when they pay attention to it, they're open to manipulation. Y'all know I go relentlessly on the pension stuff, but I just saw that the uh, medical premiums for CalPERS are going up for 1.5 million workers. They'll, they're going to pay attention at that point when the medical premium goes up and they'll wonder why is that. That's that's a key moment where you want to get with the, that group and go, here's why your medical premium went up. And it's, you know, explain inflation and why inflation is here and who's responsible for it, who who uh, was a huge supporter in, in that kicking off that inflation. So those are the kind of areas to inject Bitcoin. And then by the time the election comes around, it doesn't matter the candidate. They, they're armed, they're educated, and they're going, now I want to know how you're going to address this and what do you think about Bitcoin? And and, and there's no way around. Bullshit. They also, by the way, have a huge incentive to adopt those talking points. Why? Because they need to pry the, the votes away from the incumbents. Somebody who just made a, a comment in the um, show chat, who is this? Fiat Denier on Twitter. He's like, hey, they're trying to pry votes away from the incumbents. How exactly are you going to do that? Are you going to run on the same platforms that everybody else has run on forever? You need a new talk. You need a new argument. And if we can supply them the facts and the data, et cetera, and they can get in there and they can argue these points, man, that is fantastic. And it's fantastic for them too, trying to unseat incumbents. Just be careful you don't go out of the fat into the fryer okay how do you do that battle ant what do we tell everybody to do how do you protect yourself with bitcoin self-custody 100 percent. running a node 100 percent. peter what's up so the vast majority of voters in this country even in a presidential election are um, white middle-aged men. So that's who we need to target. That's who needs to to begin to understand that that Bitcoin is aligned with freedom. I mean, that's you know you got to look at demographics as well as my point. And you know, it, it's hard enough. It's hard enough as it is to just get the message to. Bitcoin's a Bitcoin's a hard thing. It's not it's not easy and it's not meant to be. 
Peter, let me ask you a question. Why do you think these guys are talking about Bitcoin? Why do I think the politicians are talking about Bitcoin? Yes. Why do you think uh, the presidential they're candidates incentivized, that are... They're incentivized to get votes. They want votes. Okay, right. So what? why are they talking Bitcoin or points to get votes? Because they're down in the polls. They're trying to carve out interest groups. That is all politics. They're trying to carve out interest groups. When, so when you say, well, we need to target this one particular interest group or this one particular demographic, brother, we need to target all of them. We need to understand what they care about and target every single one. It's not just one group. It's all of them. They're, they're, I, they I, had, I agree with you, Alex. But we're talking. We're talking about politics right now. We're not talking well, okay. about. We're talking the about both. Population. We're talking I'm about talking politics. about the adoption of Bitcoin. To me, this is all about the adoption of Bitcoin. Is a bottom-up technology, and it is going to happen regardless of what RFK or or Donald Trump or whomever wants to See, say shit about it. There are it. people. There are people who will come to this room and hear that, and they'll be like, "This is a cult. It's a cult." It's a bottom-up technology. You know, it's it's people who people, okay. The I, I hear native, you. My point about the demographic, Alex, is that people who are digitally native are going to get Bitcoin sooner than people who um, are still relying on on trad. Okay, maybe all of your points are true. However, adoption comes with people's belief. People's belief comes with them seeing things from a point of view where they can understand it. And if you don't provide something that is of interest to them, well, guess what? They don't care. And that's, that's just the truth about humanity. How, how long have we been talking about what money is and that money's broken? Long time. And I made the point earlier that there was a point in time where there was nobody talking about it, which is true. And there are many more people talking about it today. But if you go to any Western nation today, you take a thousand people and you ask them to explain money and explain why prices rise. You're going to get 995 different answers, probably. Maybe that, not that many, but you understand what I'm saying? Like you got to go to what they care about. And this is about adoption. And the simple fact of the matter is Jacob and I were talking about this this morning. It's like, look, there's two different things. There's a big argument all the time about what is money. And then there was that knucklehead, Ben, whatever the hell his name was. He went on CNBC and he was like, oh, it's Bitcoin. It's just a story. And as long as people believe in it. Well, great. And a whole bunch of Bitcoiners lost their shit. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy's talking about that. And it's like, we've been talking about it, whether you realize it or not on this show for almost two years now. There are two different things. What is money and what is good? Money. Money is very simple. Two people agree, full stop. More than one human has to agree. Doesn't mean it's mass adopted at that point, but I mean, this is history. This is not my opinion. Just study monetary history is the way it's always been. What is good money? Well, it could be argued good money doesn't make you poorer over time. <laughs> That's my, my main thing there. I mean, there's other attributes, obviously, and Bitcoin checks every single box. But anyway, Bitcoin veterans is on the stage you have a thought by the way i'm guessing that's uh operation libertas on that handle <laughs> yeah one fifth of uh bitcoin veterans here um last week's show i talked about how bitcoin was a revolution like we're we're living through that and it's funny that you brought up the geocentric versus solar centric 
debate that went on in like the 17th century. Um, I talked about that last night on the toxic, toxic happy hour after party. Um, what, what I think people have to understand is like the, the geocentric, you know, the universe revolving around the earth. Um, the reason why the church supported that is because all their evidence at the time backed up all the science of the time backed that up as fact. Um, the church wants to be right about things so that people believe in it. You go back to like the pharaohs in, in ancient Egypt, um, they're a, they were looked at like gods and their ability to predict when the Nile River would flood just furthered that belief that they were gods, but they were just using the science of their time. And how that ties into Bitcoin is prior to Bitcoin, you really under the fiat system, the only thing you really had to compare monetary economics to is is the gold standard. And that had already kind of failed and it didn't look like it was coming back. So all of like modern economics up until Bitcoin had just looked at things through the fiat system. And so basically their science looked like it was accurate. But now Bitcoin comes along and it's this revolutionary thing. And we have to understand that we're only... 14 years into this, it took 200 years almost for the Catholic church to accept that the sun was the center of the universe. And because of the internet, like we're speeding up. If, if we were living back then uh, and somehow had Bitcoin and the internet, uh, it, it would take a long time. We wouldn't be this far. All of us that are here now, there we'd probably still be just like the original five people in a forum somewhere discussing Bitcoin. So because of the internet, like this is all accelerating very fast. Um, and, and I know that is frustrating, but we are, we are going very fast. Like their adoption is taking place very quickly. Um, it's just, we're used to the internet and things going so fast and we're still fighting that previous regime that still is stuck in using their science. All right. Thanks for coming up and sharing Rooks. Good morning. What's up, man? Uh, yeah. Is there, wouldn't there be a case to be made that uh, Bitcoin's still kind of controversial? Like the, the three presidential candidates that are talking about it, can't that work against them too? Like I know we're kind of all in our own little world here. Well, it's, it's a big world in our eyes, but it's, I think it's a lot smaller and still a, a lot of population. Can't this work against the three in some way too? Or have they considered that? What are your thoughts on that? I think that they pay a lot of people, not a lot. I think that they pay people a lot of money to tell them what people want to talk about. I think that this is not guesswork for these people. I think that they, this is winning political elections, especially presidential elections is a science. In my opinion, there's a lot to it and they study the shit out of people. What, what people are talking about, the issues that are important to people, the fact that they are talking about Bitcoin is not accidental, bro. This is not like, uh, you know, we're all here in in a, a space is talking about Bitcoin. So it's an echo chamber. So we happen to think that it's important. No, no, no. They're the ones that are talking about it. And if they're talking about it, it's because the people who they pay retarded amounts of money to study what human beings want to talk about are telling them to talk about it. 
So I think you have to look again at demographics. And when you look at RFK's targeted demographics, you have to realize, you know, I mean, he's come out swinging against COVID vaccines and like he's, he's, he's done a couple of these things that have, you know, pretty high overlap with the Bitcoin community. So you have to understand. And, and, and the other thing is like, he's not going to start <laughs> targeting like the environmentalists, even though he himself, you know, is a declared environmentalist. He's not really trying to go after those people because he knows that those people are already captured by the other Democrats. So what he's doing is he's looking at his demographics. He's saying, okay, what do we have the best shot at like convincing to, you know, give us uh, donations? And he's looking at Bitcoiners and he's saying, oh, there's a population that they're kind of like the black sheep. They don't really have any, you know, it's like, like some of them are kind of split in one way or another, but a lot of them don't really have anyone they're, you know, necessarily going for. So here I am, I'm just going to come out and say, uh, you know, let's drop taxes on Bitcoin and let's see if, if that gets the ball rolling. I mean, he's just trying to target us. That's it. Yeah, 100%. Now, keep in mind, right, these things that he's saying, they're not designed to attract the attention of people who don't care about Bitcoin. You understand that? All these things he's saying is specifically targeted to us. He is going to say different things to target different slices of the population. They all are. Right? So, like, it's not like he's making his entire platform about Bitcoin. He's not. He's making the part of the platform that's going to make us click the link <laughs> about Bitcoin. It's all about capturing the right attention of, of the people that you're trying to get the votes from. That's it. 100% full stop. That's it. Go ahead, Don. What I, well, I was, one, one thing, what I really hope happens in this next you know debates that we see with these presidential elections is, is when Bitcoin comes up, I really hope they discuss the environmental impact of Bitcoin and they really dig into it because that's one thing that it's like, I think that is, you know, something that the public um, has a really bad and kind of, you know, like <laughs> biased uh, view of, right? And so, I mean, and, and going back to your question, I mean, this could negatively impact RFK because, you know, I'm sure there are a, a, a cohort of of his supporters who view Bitcoin as being environmentally destructive. So now that he's backing it, you know, they might be like, well, you know, so long. It's, it's more that they, I think, so I agree with all that. I think the core issue is because Bitcoin does use energy. Um, if, unless you can convince people first that it's not a waste of time and a scam and it's useful then they're not there. It doesn't matter how clean it is. It just doesn't matter. Like you really have to focus on why Bitcoin energy usage is actually worth it. Until we answer that question compellingly, we're going to lose on this because the ESG lobby, notwithstanding Ramco at BlackRock and all the pushback that seems to be happening, it's still too strong. They've been at this for decades at this sort of shit. So I'm not sure I agree with that. We had, we, so for example, we had Tara Wolf on here yesterday with Nazar, uh, from Tara Wolf. And, um, I don't, I don't think so. Like you've got, okay, give me a second. You've got, for example, you've got Buffett who has billions of dollars essentially invested in beaker plants. And as we know, technology disrupts industries and changes things over time. And I suspect that, you know, 
organizations like TerraWolf are going to replace speaker plants. They're basically going to build infrastructure that does it better, does it faster, and is more net benefit at the end of the day. There's a gentleman in the audience out here somewhere named Mickey Koss. This guy's an active duty military officer um, with the special aviation unit that basically flies in special ops guys. They do, they do the insertions, the extractions, all that other kind of stuff. He runs the budget and he runs the, uh, basically how, how all that stuff works for his unit. But he also writes a ton of articles for Forbes now on Bitcoin. And one of them uh, recently is, is addressing this issue. And you're starting to see more and more of these kinds of things where, uh, I, th what was the title of that one the other day? It's like Bitcoin looks like it's good. Bitcoin mining is projected to reduce more, or more, reduce more carbon emissions than the energy sources that they're, uh, net, that are, that, that they're putting out is, is then, then it's going to be net positive, I should say for car carbon emissions. And these are the kind of narratives that I think are going to be very powerful tools. Go ahead, Dom. Yeah, um, that was a great article, and um, uh, I sent it to a lot of folks. So, Mickey, I don't know if he's in the audience, but that was a, a very good article, well-written. Alex, you were talking about these blocks and, you know, the strategist, right? And, and the voting is just blocks of people, right? You get a union to endorse you, you have that block of not only donors, but you, you, you probably have voters. Um, associations, you get the NRA to endorse you. You have people that subscribe to that uh, institution and they vote potentially some of them along the lines of who they endorse, et cetera. Um, it's, you know, obviously there's value to RFK in mobilizing the block of Bitcoin voters, but we know based on the numbers that that's not enough to win an election right now. If every Bitcoiner in the country votes, and when I say Bitcoiner, I don't mean you know, their kid, um, you know, there's a mom out there whose kid gave them a hundred bucks in Bitcoin and said, mom, hold this. You know, I'm talking about people that understand and hold Bitcoin with intention. If all of them vote for RFK, he does not win. But there are areas that are going to come up where Bitcoin can have impact. And Peter was mentioning um, the demographics of voters. I would only push back, you know, uh, uh, the this concept of the majority of voters are middle-aged white voters pay attention to where the political parties go when it comes to crunch time in the election they are in low income uh areas with high poverty on both sides whether it's rurally or in in the cities in cities or suburbs outside of cities and they're mobilizing those districts like crazy because another side of the election is turnout you have to get people to go there's there's voters right now that are going to vote one way or the other. Their mind's already made up. I'm going to go with whoever the candidate is for the Dems. I'm going to go with whoever the Democratic uh, or the candidate is for the Republicans. Their mind is made up. The difference is how do you fill the gaps and how do you mobilize certain people that weren't planning to vote or are not unsure, et cetera. And it is just math. And that's why, again, like I think Bitcoin can be very valuable in low income districts because look what are we trying to do we're trying to help people that are getting destroyed by inflation um and these are folks that basically if you raise the cost of things by a dollar they may be homeless uh if, if rent goes up a 100 bucks they may be homeless these are also the people that the political parties go after like crazy 
in these swing states and these like key districts and they try to get them to vote based on the different issues. So that's why I think Bitcoin just doing its thing and, and finding these people to educate them um, is really valuable and can have more of an impact than any other area in the election because it will come down to those districts and the media will be covering them extensively. What's up, Michael? Hi, guys. Thanks for letting me speak. Um, as a former politician, maybe I can just give a few um, bits of information. So when I was running and I asked Alex for money, and I am not a very good politician, apparently. He didn't give me any. <laughs> but I was looking for engagement, and I was looking for money. So I, I find people who share my passion, be it Second Amendment, First Amendment, be it Bitcoin, and ask them for support. Um, also friends, people who knew me, knew what I did before in my previous step as a politician. I was a state-level uh, state level, uh, representative. I ran for Senate. I won the primary. Um, I ran into some health issues. I had to step down. Um, but engagement in money was what was important for me at that point. I believe it's the same for everybody else. I was seriously running. I would have been a senator again. Um, I ran into health issues. I had to step down. But for people who are not serious about it, like the RFK or VVAC, it is the same, I believe. It is engagement and it is money. All right, Michael, thanks for coming up and sharing with us. Uh, from your perspective, this is, this is man in the arena perspective type stuff. This is not us up here in a space, Twitter spaces, pontificating about what we think about how to win elections. This sounds like you have done so. Uh, uh, yes. wh why are they talking about Bitcoin right now? It's, it's money and it's engagement. That's pretty much that every politician needs. But I don't believe they're serious. In my case, I was a Bitcoiner before I became a politician. It's very different. I'm very pro-liberty, but there are many issues I care about, right? Second Amendment, First Amendment, freedom of speech, monetary policy, hard money. So on any one of these issues, if I find people who will support me, I will take their money and I will enjoy their engagement to get to where I want to be. So are, are you saying basically because the miner, Bitcoin miners have money that talking about Bitcoin helps them, helps the politicians get donations or what's the mining connection? Uh, not the money, the, the money, I'm sorry. Yeah. Money. Um, Money. Oh, okay. Dollars, dollars. I'm sorry, dollars. Yeah. yeah. Money and votes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. For, for you guys, I would I would suggest you continue doing what you're doing, Alex, with Swan. You gotta educate the public. It's very hard to tell between the politicians who are in it, uh, who are looking for donations, <laughs> who are gonna be shitcoiners, like the mayor of Miami, for example. Oh or my RFK. God. Or that guy that got elected as mayor of New or what was he, the mayor of New York, New York. or something like that? Yeah. 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 A joker. Same deal. Yes, same deal. Yeah. RFK and Vivek are not in it to win. There's no chance they're going to make it. I just don't see it. Uh, but it's an engagement and it's donations thereafter. Yeah, there is the orange lining of all of it. Like, it is exciting that it's like, guess who's coming to dinner? You know, it's like they try to fight Bitcoin, but nobody puts baby in a corner. And, you know, now it's at the topic of conversation. 
the topic du jour amongst all your favorite political candidates for president. It's pretty exciting from that regard. Like, you know, like Alex says in other spaces, these are all just markers in the right direction if you're a Bitcoiner. But like I say, plebs better hurry up. Start learning about self-custody and about running a node. Like you got big people talking about Bitcoin right now. And if you're not stacking and, and having like a stack plan happening right now, like what are you doing? Yep. 100% agree. Okay. I feel like we have beat this topic to absolute death. Uh, hey, Michael, I do appreciate you coming up, talking about it. Let's hit a couple of things here uh, before we move on. I am not going to be here hosting for the second hour. Tomer has graciously agreed to come up and host the second hour. So I'll be taking off here in about 20 minutes, um, heading down to Miami, doing the travel thing. But uh, tomorrow we've got macro strategy coming up with the boys. Um, you've got, let's see, it's going to be Foss, Ross, Lapard, and Foley. Love those guys. There's nothing quite like getting General Lapard in the room and getting him riled up. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. Generally produces some pretty good stuff to listen to. Uh, other quick items here. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Um, this is episode 393. Holy cow. Can you believe it's been that many episodes, man? Holy cow. We're almost at 400. Um, let's hit a couple of stats really quick. Battle Ant, if you're ready, let's do that. The Bitcoin impenetrable freedom force field level is at? Still over 400. It's 401.5 exahash per second on the seven-day average estimate. It's a mouthful, but you do have to quantify that with estimate uh blocks are coming in pretty fast right now and the fastest fee is uh nine sats per v byte so back to single digits you know you've seen it coming back down people have been tweeting like you know broke bitcoin and then they have like the picture of you know single digit uh, fees so in the last block the average fee, for example, was 5,520 sats per transaction. So a little bit over a dollar. Uh, 40,592 blocks to go until the next halving, which is about 288, uh, 282 days. And for you uh, traders out there, you know, Bitcoin's up on the 200-day 79.6%. Let's go. It's awesome. Good morning to American Hoddle. Thanks for joining us. What's going on with you, man? What's up, guys? Uh, not too much. I'm just having a private text debate with Preston Pish about the validity of backing uh, <laughs> the dollar with Bitcoin, which I'm sure you guys were talking about before uh, I came in. Well, we were really talking about politicians talking about bitcoin and that that is a positive thing most people are agreeing that it doesn't really matter they're just looking for votes right but i'm curious about the technicals of what you guys were discussing if you want to talk about it yeah well i think i do think <clears throat> i'll give you my my prediction um in the long arc of history so during the course of uh, our life and then the next several generations what i think is likely to happen is that there's a strong potential for a hyperinflationary collapse. 
that'll enforce extreme austerity on the population. People will jump to Bitcoin in order to survive. And that's the hyper Bitcoinization story that we're all familiar with. Right. But like we know, uh, dying empires don't just die all of a sudden. They they subsume the new thing that is attempting to replace them for a time period until it eventually dematerializes them. Uh, something that comes to mind is the Roman Empire killing Christ and then becoming a Christian empire. They became the Holy Roman Empire uh, just a few generations later in an effort to maintain control over the population because Christianity was too powerful of an idea and there was nothing that they could do to stop it or abuse their population. And they tried killing Christians. Uh, they tried torturing people out of it, but it was such a strong belief that people were willing to die for it, be crucified for it. And so there was nothing they could do. So they were forced into adopting the paradigm of Christianity, right? So what I think is going to happen is there's going to be this hyperinflationary collapse, potentially. There are other scenarios that could play out, but let's just go with this one for a second. You're going to get that collapse. Then you're going to get a new digital dollar, which is going to be backed one-to-one -one by Bitcoin, which will be sort of a deflationary rebuilding era, right? That'll last for a generation or two. These will be the good times. This will be a golden era in American life. Uh, then it'll be less backed. There'll be some crisis. And all of a sudden, wait, wait, we went from being one-to-one -one back to we're only 75% back. Yeah, but 75% is still pretty good, right? Then it'll be even less backed. And then it'll be like, wait a second, are we 25% backed? Yeah, but dude, times are still good. Things are great, whatever. Then the peg will be entirely broken and you'll have a return to the fiat era because most people, uh, you know, in the global population, they they don't care, they don't know, and and they don't know to care, you know, or they don't care to know. Um, so I, I think basically like this is a permanent human cycle that just repeats over and over again. And, you know, the best we can do is like try and shame our children and grandchildren, uh, you know, into compliance, but we'll be long dead by the time they fuck it all up. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. You're not getting your Bitcoin or robot body? No, you're all going to die. Everyone in this room is going to die. If you think uh, like Spencer Schiff that you're going to live forever, you're not. You're all going to die. You're dying right now, in fact. Embrace it. <laughs> Bitcoin is hope. Embrace the suck. As a physician, I can verify Hoddle's words that you, we're all dying. You're all going to die. Sorry. It's true. So you know, we need more cowbell. You're the youngest you're ever going to be again right now. Oh, it just Stop passed. It. You're older now. You're dying a little more right now. I love this. Isn't it a sign of the times that like there's a large swath of the population that literally believe they're going to be forever immortal gods? In what in what planet do you live? Like <laughs> we're nowhere close. to We don't even know how to solve cancer. We're nowhere fucking close to that. It's a great marketing pitch, though. I mean, you've got Yuval Harari at the at the um, at the WEF basically saying, "Yeah, we're you guys can be gods now." I mean, that's essentially it, right? Humans are like it, that's been the pitch forever. The searches for the fountain of life and all that other kind of stuff, like you can live forever. Humans are so desperate, man. Okay, so something that was a very interesting scenario you laid out there, Hoddle. I'm. One thing I'm curious about, you said, okay, 
eventually a couple generations from now we're back to fiat money. How do they do that when you have a form of money that um, is just better? How do you convince everybody at that point to go back to the fiat money? Because most people have no money. So they're going to bribe them. Yeah. And to your point, the way government works, and I, I love your uh, take, Hoddle, by the way. I, I pretty much agree with it. The government will say if they peg a, a, the new digital dollar to Bitcoin, they're going to say it's as good as Bitcoin. You, it, just like the phrase, it's as good as gold, right? So why own gold if you, if you, if you have this digital dollar? Uh, just that's how fiat uh, came about. Uh, and then that's the way they can uh, ultimately debase it over time. And so what they're going to do is wrest control of ownership of Bitcoin from people or they're going to try to uh, get people onto the digital dollar uh, and then and then separate the two. And then eventually they can debase it over time as well. I agree. So it's going to be hard, harder than we think for people to hold on to their Bitcoin in the future because the government will do everything they can to take it from them. There's a uh, metaphor I like to use, which you know I'm sure most of the people in here have seen the movie Fight Club. In Fight Club, Brad Pitt works as a projectionist and movies come on all different reels. And when he changes over, when he does a changeover, what's called in the industry, uh, he cuts a picture of a huge dick into the film, right? And the audience, you know, has no idea. Like, they subliminally saw something happen, but, like, they're completely oblivious to it. That's what happens when you break the peg on the dollar. The average person has no idea. Uh, go, go talk to people on the street especially people who are over the age of like about 45, I, you know, fully 75% of them will tell you the U S dollar is backed by gold. They still believe that to this day. Right. Yeah. So if at some point in the future it's no longer backed by Bitcoin, they're not going to know or care. Damn. That's true. And another thing we know from history is that when you go full fiat, it takes like 50 to 75 years for things to really unravel. So the people that did it are long gone. You know, they're dead by the time things go to shit. So they don't care. So there's always a human incentive to be the one to break the peg because you can fix immediate problems in the here and now. And you don't ever have to deal with the consequences. Like you're going to die a hero and somebody else has to pick up the bill. That's a very human thing. So people always do it. I'm hearing that we do need Bitcoin or robot bodies. That said, though, this this doesn't do anything, uh, you know, to like stem Bitcoin's thousand year reign. Bitcoin is still replacing gold and Bitcoin is going to be the gold for the digital world order for the next thousand years. Right. And so governments around the world are going to run these types of games and they're going to compete with each other. And, you know, they're going to hold each other to account and it's going to be a competitive market landscape across the entire world and the strongest governments will survive. And in general, the nation state is sort of being dematerialized and replaced with, you know, like what Balaji calls the network state or some people call webs of trust. Like we don't need intermediaries in the same way we used to need intermediaries. But the lie that intermediaries love to tell is, of course you need us. Like, you're all dependent on each other. Yeah, that's true. That's humanity, right? But uh, we, the, you know, expert intermediaries, we will tell you just how dependent and how much you owe to each other and how much tax you owe to us for providing that that holy service to you, 
Yes, like, the holy service. We're, we, are, we are here yeah. to protect you from all the bad things. That's our job, yeah. and you pay us to do that. So that kind of bullshit is going to continue, you know, basically forever. But that story is getting less and less potent over time. Until we all die. Well, we are all dying. That's true. Tomer, do you have any thoughts here? Hmm. Um, I, I, I kind of want to be a little bit more optimistic. I'm playing the devil's advocate. Like none of us know exactly how things will play out. I, and if we take this back to this notion of, well, what does it mean if the U.S. dollar gets backed by Bitcoin? Eventually, there's the question of redeemability. Right? And I, I think this is what's interesting. Like, it, Do we live in a future where, as was the case in the gold standard, where there aren't fluctuating currency exchanges? Like if, if the U.S. becomes Bitcoin backed, then so will essentially every other currency that's worth anything in, in the world. And they're all essentially exchangeable and, re and redeemable for actual on-chain. Bitcoin might be expensive or not then I think you do end up in a situation where we're not as vulnerable to the move to fiat as was the case when we moved from the gold standard to fiat. Because in the case of the gold standard, gold is very hard to move. It's very hard to secure. All of it gets locked in Fort Knox. And one day Nixon says we're never giving any of it back. Uh, but, but with Bitcoin, it's different, right? You're not locking all of it with one custodian, the U.S. government. You're, you're, <laughs> you're able to redeem it and use it interchangeably elsewhere. So that's kind of what gives me the hope that that's what cuts the feet out from under the problems that have Tell, led to Tomer. the emergence of fiat. Yeah, go ahead. Can I put something in here? Because I used to think exactly what you think. Uh, I, I used to believe the same thing. And then I realized that you could time lock Bitcoin. So if, <laughs> if enough Bitcoin ends up in the hands of the US government and they time lock it for long enough, it's effectively stuck in Fort Knox. Yeah, I guess I guess that this is the thing is how much of it does get in their hands in the first place, right? Like, I think that the trick to avoiding having to redeem it, whether it's in their possession, time locked or not time locked, uh, they, they could just refuse to re to release it. So the idea is to never surrender it in, in the first place. And and for uh and for Bitcoin and U.S. dollars allegedly backed by Bitcoin to be the the current the legal tender in the U.S. territory, and you know, and Bitcoin to be the legal tender essentially everywhere else, potentially with easy rails to use it being the fiat currency of the nation. But like, I'm not saying I have perfect vision into the into the future. I think always and forever, if the the, the th biggest threat against against Bitcoin is the complacency of the population. And if we become complacent, then we might end up in any of these situations where we're not using Bitcoin the way it was designed to be survive, survivable or self-custodiable and, and, and we lose control of it. So I'm just trying to be a little bit more optimistic in terms of saying what, what, what needs to be true for us to face the corruption that we face with the gold standard is uh, is harder on a bitcoin standard i'm not saying it's impossible right like that's why we advocate so strongly for self-custody all the time but waves will come and i think you're probably right good times will lead to more complacency and the complacency is what leads to 
the danger. Yeah, totally. And, and by the way, I'm not uh, claiming to have perfect vision either. Uh, obviously, none of us know. We're just feeling our way through the darkness. I just want to think I just want to always be thinking as adversarial as possible. And by the way, in my scenario, Bitcoin still goes to a trillion, billion, quadrillion dollars. Right. It becomes the most important thing in the whole in the whole world, the reserve asset. Don't you know, pump it up. Hey, do we, uh, the next cycle is the target 0.615 or will it always be 6.15? I I don't know if I'm the guy that said, there should be a new person that sets the target this time around. I said it last time, so. (laughs) All right, I don't know who's next, on Bay or Surfer Jim. I'm going to kick to Surfer Jim because I've been yapping. Oh, you didn't have to. You had your hand up first if you really want to go right ahead. I, I was going to uh, elaborate on what I heard Tomer say, uh, but if you want to, you were you were definitely up there first. Go go right ahead, Dom. Jim, stop. Just go. I mean, go. Uh, all right. Sorry. So I, I've often thought about this, and I respect both Hoddle and Tomer and everybody else that comes up here to speak. And I, And I talk about a world where when enforcers – the people that allow the government to stay in power um, do no longer value the money they're getting paid in. They will defect. And I believe that will disassemble the political structures of the world as we know them now. And with generations of children being raised on a Bitcoin standard by folks like ourselves, um, I would like to believe in a future whereby when the world, so in HODL scenario, the world goes to a Bitcoin standard. Okay, so now the whole world is using Bitcoin as their money, and some people want to uh, peg a fiat currency against it. And I can easily see people always wanting to do that. But the the transparency of the Bitcoin ledger would allow communities of people to hold their leaders way more accountable to where that money's getting spent and how much they have and whether or not there's really fiat, the the number of fiat dollars is equivalent to the amount they have because they can't hide how much they have anymore. They could hide the gold, right? Tomer made some good arguments about why the gold standard failed. And under a Bitcoin standard, they wouldn't have those same um, parameters to work under. And so there's a possibility that although some greedy humans would want to peg Bitcoin to some fiat money because they'll tell you how it's better for everybody and it's it saves them and they're looking out for you. There is a chance that there would be enough people that would say no, no fucking way. And if we do it, it would be more like a fediment kind of thing where you're knowingly doing it, but you can, you know, the people in charge, let's say smaller government, right? M- much more local, not these national sized governments. It's possible that we end up in a perpetual world where that never happens again. I would love to believe that's true, but like all of you said, we'll all be dead by then. Let's just hope we get to the hyper-Bitcoinization and we get to see a really awesome world with a lot more fairness. Thanks for letting me speak, guys. Yeah, piggyback off, uh, uh, piggybacking off Surfer Jim. I, I think, um, you know, I love hearing HODL's scenarios because they're just so realistic and you can see things playing out. And it's always interesting to, to kind of think about how things are going to progress. I've been finding myself more thinking, uh, uh, thinking more frequently about how Bitcoiners uh, are the wild card and going to shape some of these things from happening. And the core, not just the core group, but new adopters. You know, I, I, I subscribe to this concept that Bitcoin doesn't care about you. It's going to do what it does. And I believe in that. 
But I think uh, what's very impactful on timelines is what Bitcoiners do, um, whether things happen within this many years or X amount of years or 10 years or 20 years. And uh, it's just interesting to see. We know that this community is one of the hardest working, most dedicated communities. And even though it's a small percentage of the globe right now, um, it's already demonstrated the ability to shift major uh, you know, directions uh, or, or shift um, uh, the, the kind of trajectory of certain things. So I'm really interested to see how that impacts different scenarios like the one that HODL laid out and when CBDCs roll out or pegging to, the, to Bitcoin, Bitcoin to the dollar, et cetera. Carlos, sorry. Good morning. You have any thoughts on this stuff? Yeah. Um, so interesting discussion. I think you have to always start from the premise of what's the the most critical problem. There's many problems with the current you know fiat system, but the the critical problem is just too much debt, right? The United States has 32. Going to we're bearing on 33 trillion dollars worth of debt that's coming down in the next year. So in that dynamic, right? If you were to back a currency with uh, with Bitcoin or any other hard asset, it would, in my opinion, I would I think it would trigger a crisis for several reasons. Number one, when you back a currency with uh, any sort of commodity, what it really means is it's redeemable. There's no sense in backing anything if you can't redeem dollars for Bitcoin or dollars for gold. So operating under that sense of the word that the currency would be backed by something that is redeemable, that would effectively mean that U.S. additional U.S. borrowing would not be financed, could not be monetized, there would be no, no way to sustain it. And anyone out there that's operating in the commercial banking system, if they were going to issue new loans, all those new loans would have to essentially be backed by the hard asset. So it would, it would crush credit creation. I mean, you would absolutely destroy credit creation, which means you'd crush the economy because our economy functions on credit creation. It would destroy the government's ability to issue new debt because they would not be able to uh, finance large deficits with something where it had to be backed one for one with a, with a commodity. So I think in the, in the short term, this is entirely un, unrealistic and impractical. I think you have to understand that in a debt-based system, the only way a debt-based system can survive is more debt. And the only way you can get more debt is have it not be backed by some sort of hard asset. So that you, you get into a situation where, if, you know, these sort of plans, they may si sound nice, like we're going to back the dollar in, in, in Bitcoin. But, but if it is truly backed, meaning it's redeemable, uh, what you're effectively doing is you're effectively destroying future credit creation, future ability of the government to borrow and uh, crippling the economy. Hey, Joe, I entirely agree with you uh, in the here and now under the current system. Uh, but I, I do want to get your thoughts on do you think at some point in the, I don't know, near future, far future, before the end of our lives, next generation, at some point. At some point, do you believe that uh, the U.S. dollar is going to be backed by Bitcoin? Because I do. I think the way I would phrase it is this. I think all of the other fiat currencies out there besides the dollar will likely uh, succumb to the dollar and Bitcoin at varying degrees, okay, over the course of the next, I would say, let's just be conservative, 20 to 30 years, okay? And in, in that environment, over the next 20, 30 years, I think you see a narrowing of fiat 
You think, see it narrow to the dollar, and, and alongside that, some folks will experiment with Bitcoin, both as you know continued stores of value and, and as as a medium exchange. It's still not there, and I think if you talk to Lightning developers, right, they still need a lot of work on you know making it truly a medium of exchange. But aside from that, I think once you get to a narrowing of fiat to a single single fiat, which is basically the dollar, the final boss, and Bitcoin. In that situation, right, you will have a period of transition where I think there will be efforts to stabilize the value of the dollar relative to Bitcoin by acquiring Bitcoin. Um, stable, it's a, it's a confidence game, right? So like the United States government will have to shore up at some point Bitcoin reserves to to make people believe that the dollar still has confidence. And so then, you, you think USG the, is going to run the Luna playbook? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, over the long run, okay, now we're talking decades from now, right? I'm not... And it's very dangerous to talk that far in the future because things can change, right? But like that, that would be my supposition. The narrowing of fiat, the continued dominance of the dollar. And in, over the long run, I think what folks will realize is that, wait a second, we just we can slowly transition just to Bitcoin. Uh, but there's there's technological things that need to happen. There's regulatory developments. There's, uh, you know, uh, obviously the capital gains is a huge issue that needs to be resolved before any of that can, can take place. But But again, this stuff will happen at the periphery, not at the core. Right, it will move towards the core, and the core is the, the the dollar system, the dollar hegemony, treasury hegemony. You will see it from the third world. So I think like all of this stuff prospers and has uh, success cases and test cases in the in in the developing and emerging markets long before the uh, developed world. Do we think there's any like think tanks running like war game scenarios and doing a hypothetical transition to Bitcoin uh, using the dollar system? I mean, uh, that's basically this Twitter space. We're we're doing that for free. Yeah, yeah. the The question becomes: When does the Pentagon start wargaming that stuff? That is going to be interesting. All right, listen, guys, I got to bounce. Tomer's going to be taken over as the host of the show. We're going to keep running as normal, uh, but I got to head out. Two quick things, a couple quick things before I head out. First of all, later on today. Swad Signal with Preston Pish. Andy Edstrom is going to be at 1 p.m. Eastern. Check the Swan YouTube channel for that. We are also, I believe, going to be recording the next Bitcoin Veterans podcast tonight and watch the Bitcoin Veterans channel for when that pops out. Um, and then, yeah, finally, thanks, guys, for everything. I'm out, and don't share coin. It's bad for you. Crush it. So, Joe, does this mean that... Uh... We should all be learning Spanish. Uh, the Bitcoiners should be learning Spanish and gravitating towards uh, south of the uh, south of the equator, or or certainly south of the border, where uh, we will be encountering um, uh, systems and and governments that uh, are more friendly to to Bitcoin. There's many reasons to learn Spanish. Highly recommend it. I wish I knew Spanish better. Global Spanish. Right. I, I feel like AI is going to make real-time language translation a, a thing, so don't even worry about uh, learning other <laughs> languages. The Babel pitch. Uh, keep it going, guys. Uh, Alex is gone, but uh, this is definitely a great conversation. We will be joined shortly by the featured guest of the day, um, but uh, they're not here yet, and this discussion about... Uh, what the implications of the US dollar potentially being backed, even if it's only gradually by Bitcoin, I think are, are fascinating 
discussions because the whole global game theory starts to come into play. You know, you have one presidential candidate saying they're going to start backing gradually the U.S. dollar by Bitcoin. What does that make um, all of the other fiat regimes in the world start to have to consider? Are they just going to ignore this or are they going to start to say, well, we have to follow and potentially get ahead, get out ahead of what the United States is doing because it's oh. bad enough having an inferior currency, having a zero currency is altogether terrible. Tomer, is the U.S. dollar backed by gold? No, it's not. Why not? The U.S. government owns gold. Federal Reserve holds gold. Why isn't it backed by gold? This whole notion of partially backed by Bitcoin makes no sense. Either it's backed or it's not. And if it's backed, it means it's fully redeemable dollar for dollar. Okay. The U.S. government owns a lot of different assets. Do all those assets the U.S. government own, do they back the currency? Some would say yes, some would say no. But, you know, the U.S. dollar owns gold. So are you saying it's backed by gold? I mean, that, that's why this it's a silly, for people to keep repeating that partially backed by Bitcoin, that it doesn't make any sense. If you're saying- Sorry, Joe, Joe what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is I'm, I'm just parroting the words of the presidential candidate talking about talking about it so I'm, well I'm yeah not, but we, we shouldn't pair we shouldn't pair words that don't make sense right that that's that's does intellectually dishonest well joe the dollar certainly the dollar certainly was backed by gold. yeah yeah the the dollar was backed by gold and when it was backed by gold it was fully redeemable that was yes. the point so yes. so so it's 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 not like you're a little bit pregnant right like either it's backed by by bitcoin or it's not backed just meaning that the U.S. government's going to acquire Bitcoin does not mean that the dollar is backed by Bitcoin. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think there's two separate conversations. There's what RFK said, which is just political pandering that got sort of reported in a, you know, just larger than life way that doesn't track. And like, I think all of Joe's points on that are correct. And then there's the discussion about the far future where we are living in a world with, you know, Bitcoin at a $200 trillion market cap and what sovereign currency, like how do sovereign currencies interact with Bitcoin in that world? And I think those are separate conversations. Yeah. And just, just for folks to, you know, have a discussion about this in an honest way, a president cannot elect to back the currency with any hard asset, not within the president's power to back a currency with a hard asset. You need effectively Congress because what you would need to do is you need to buy the Bitcoin to back the currency and the power of the purse under our system is set through Congress. So Congress would have to authorize an expenditure that would allow the government to acquire sufficient Bitcoin that would then then will permit them to back the actual dollars with some sort of asset, which it's, know, in, it's interesting, Joe, because it, a president was able to end or temporarily close the backing or the redemption feature of uh, of the dollar for gold. So we're Correct. still temporary. So can, can 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 we not revoke that particular executive order? Uh, and then the gold window opens again. I, I I'm I'm being facetious in what I'm saying. No, no, no I, it's a great question, but but th th that's a different thing, right? Like what you're talking about is you're talking about closing the window for redeemability. And the U.S. when they did close the window for redeemability, we all know they still had gold backing a you know a certain portion of the dollars that were there. They didn't have it wasn't like they had no gold. Um, but 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 redeemability is different from what the asset what assets the, the government is holding. Yeah, listen, I, I think going back, I, American Hollow is right. Like we are we're having two different conversations here 
and and I think what we haven't really had a conversation around is like, well, what did RFK actually say in this notion of partial partial backing? I think what he said is we'll issue some T bills which are backed by Bitcoin. So we'll have some Bitcoin T bills that are presumably redeemable in Bitcoin, like one percent. I think I think that's what he said. I think that's kind of this this interesting idea where those particular T bills are are ultimately redeemable. They pay, they, they mature in in Bitcoin. What does that actually mean? Does that mean that over time, you know, what will the market determine against these things? Will they prefer T-bills redeemable in Bitcoin to T-bills redeemable in US dollars? So I, I, I just, I think it's interesting to start to think about these things because it's the that, first that, time that's anyone's not the, mentioned it. Comer, that's not the plan. It, it's not that T-bills are redeemable in Bitcoin. If, if he said that, then he's misguided as to how the system operates when you issue a t-bill okay you're going out and you're borrowing money from either private individuals uh entities whatever right you're getting their cash okay they're buying the t-bill okay and then what i what i understood his plan to be which is what i think he said is that they would use that particular issuance of new debt to buy bitcoin so it's not it's not the, the actual instrument the the, the security the, tre the treasury they're issuing that isn't backed by anything that is just basically a, a funding mechanism to acquire Bitcoin. Yeah, the, the, Jacob, just the host, just texted me his quote. So if if we want, I'll just I'll read it quickly here, so that we so that we're all talking about the same thing, right? Um, and and apparently the quote is my plan. This is RFK speaking. My plan would be to start very very small. Perhaps one percent of issued T bills would be backed by hard currency, by gold, silver, platinum, or Bitcoin. He said describing his vision. For returning to a hard currency, he added that depending on the outcome of that initial step, he would increase that allocation an annually. So clearly, you know, we've got headlines that are distorting even what he, he said, right? Like from one percent in various hard metals in Bitcoin to, to he's he's going to back the whole U.S. dollar with yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah. It's like we get this conflation of one thing of one thing to another. But I, I think, you know, and whether or not his plan actually works or not, I just think it's interesting to focus on what he actually said and whether those plans are workable rather than um, rather than what the incorrect headlines are, are projecting. No, I think that makes sense. But but again, issuing T-bills where 1% of them are going to be used to acquire Bitcoin, okay, you have to, that's an expenditure. So what you're doing is you're effectively borrowing money from someone and you're using that to buy Bitcoin. That 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 is that it's not necessarily backing the instrument. I mean, if he's, he's saying that, that's 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 incorrect. You're borrowing money to acquire something else. It could be argued that they're, they're backing it with something that's already in their possession, right? And that's what they're offering as collateral, essentially. You know, oh, we'll, how, we'll the, the government has Bitcoin. Like yeah, I know the government sees, has they tons of it. Right, but that's not th th that's property that needs to be sold. It's not right? theirs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Whoever said that was correct. It's not. It's not theirs. It's property that is to be sold through a forfeiture auction. Okay. You're not prepared to play this devil's advocate game here, Joe. So that's co that's cool. I, like I, I. I I think maybe we're we are making too much of what RFK's actual comment of the story because what RFK's actual comments were were pretty small, right? I think he would. I think what he was aiming at here. Like I'm not 
a supporter one way or the other, but I think what he was aiming at here is saying, let's bring back some hard assets into getting involved in the money. But he may not, he may well not have uh, a solid understanding of how the system actually works. And look, we're all, the more we understand the system, the more we understand it doesn't work, the more we understand it, there's deception, corruption, error, all sorts of flaws in it. So the system is in need of a reformation. And the question is, how does it perform? Does it perform simply through collapse and something else rising through its ashes? Or does, is there some embrace of what's rising through the ashes to stabilize the system as it is or to, to reform the system as it is? And then you ultimately end up in something that is permanently, temporarily, you know, uh, stably or unstably backed by the emergent uh, technology. So, it, and this yeah. is the question, right? Yeah, those are great points. I mean, it just it helps when you're having these discussions to focus on what the problem is. And the problem at its core with one single word is debt. There's too much debt. And and too much debt causes all sorts of problems in the form of how do we have to deal with it? Are we going to have our monetized? Does the Fed have to intervene to, to effectively debase us? Like too much debt is the problem. And in a, in a system where you have too much debt, but it needs more debt to survive, you're in a hole and you're having to keep digging. That, that's the problem we're in right now. So, you know, the first step should be to stop digging. It, it shouldn't be to, you know, spend more money. Yeah, it feels like we're already past the point. <laughs> it's like the machine is self-digging now, right? Because <laughs> we have so much debt and there's interest to be paid on the debt and the interest rates are high and that's, and that's more digging. Like, how do we, it's not, and it's not possible to get out of the digging because you can't generate revenues to offset the, the expenses other than through printing money which is another form of digging because it's more borrowing. It's like we're, we're in a spiral, we're in a feedback loop that I don't see how, how it can be stopped at all. So I, <clears throat> I want to say I agree with Joe um, because, you know, and the only way for us to get out of this is it's going to be havoc, right? In, in order for us to adopt the Bitcoin standard, the current system that we're currently in has to be destroyed, whether we want to accept that or acknowledge that or not. That's the truth. So I agree with Joe 100% on that. So my question to anybody who wants to answer it, is there a way that we can transition to a Bitcoin standard without, you know, the complete collapse of the fiat system, at least here in the United States? And my opinion is no, we can't. But I would love to hear you guys' opinion, because based on what we're talking about with the this infinite feedback loop of having to be in more debt and having to be into more debt and having to be, you know, more inflation, more inflation is it's really killing everybody here in the U.S., right? Especially people that aren't aware about money and, you know, the money printer and the average person right so i just want to know if there's a a peaceful transition which i don't think there is but is there any possible way that we can transition without you know crashing what we have here in the united states i think it depends on what exactly you're talking about crashing and who suffers from the crash like i i think i think the fiat experiment leads us into this eventual you know it may be gradual but it eventually still happens is this rapidly inflating currency wrap with a rapid loss of purchasing power where people look for other solutions and when we look back gradually what well, we see that since the beginning of the fiat standard we've actually we've, we've seen this we've seen real estate uh and stocks and we've seen all these other things inflate at much higher rates than the growth rate of the economy itself so those in the know and those with savings have have been gradually migrating to other stores of value to protect their to protect their long-term wealth as that accelerates, 
the the question becomes do you end up with a complete collapse or are you able to see the revolution change i think the other the big revolution is when eventually the government can't credibly continue to print money because nobody values the money that they're printing and that and that becomes the revolution or the reform restoration of a government that's separated from money I mean, like fiat did a terrible thing which was it made government and money one in the same entity it fused them together and we we left from politicians advocating for rational political goals to everyone pursuing financial goals we financialized politics we financialized the government the two things became inseparable and now politicians just promise to print more money because government is money printing when that ends it it restores some sanity back to what the purpose of government is it, it divorces these two ideas which should be two separate things and and has them standing back on their own and I, I think this this is something that's going to happen. Like nobody knows exactly how it's going to happen, but there is a there's kind of it all happens all at once, which is a complete collapse of of the currency and and whatever government we have at the time. Or there's this more gradual stepping back, which I think you're starting to get hints of, uh, and maybe not enough of, but you're starting to get hints hints of it that there are politicians who are who are saying, well, we need to re return to something more sensible and sustainable and whether or not they can resist the temptation or the you know the momentum of the system that's already spiraling out of control remains to be seen um you know for everyone here i think they've all kind of taken a look at that and said that this is why i'm trying to hold bitcoin and other assets that i think will be good stores of value and transferable and and, and retainable in the future, which again is why Bitcoin tends to rise to the surface for so many people, because it, it's one thing that can't be seized in a in a situation where where things are potentially confronting hyperinflation or collapse or or government seizing things to try to retain control over their current what current power they have, which is quickly slipping through their fingers. I'll let a couple of people wrap up, and then I really want to introduce our featured um, guest today, uh, Marina Spindler, who. Who is on stage so why don't why don't we just have like some concluding comments on this topic and then we can make the transition uh and welcome welcome to the stage marina you're also welcome to weigh in on this topic if you've been here for a little while listen too yeah, i'll give a closing uh, comment real quick tummer bitcoin's going to win but it is not going to create a utopia because human beings reject utopias okay if you were in heaven you would find it to be one of the worst, most boring, horrible tortures imaginable because every day would be perfect and you're an imperfect human being. So we're not going to create a utopia. We're just going to create a better world. That's it. Don't wish for a utopia. It's not happening. I would maybe want to put in a, a dissenting note that we don't necessarily need to see hyperinflation or collapse as the result of the current system, right? I think the evidence we've seen so far is, is more of a slow moving balance between spending and the debt that comes with that on the one hand, and then slow debasement of the money on the other hand. And while, you know, it, it's exciting to look for the day when there's going to be, you know, 50% year over year inflation and the dollar is going to collapse and the fiat system is going to collapse and Bitcoin's going to come rising through the ashes. It could be that it's this more banal 
you know, that the symptoms of the fiat system we've been seeing so far, wealth inequality, and, you know, the, the bad incentives that are set by the slow debasement of the dollar. And I think Bitcoin is important in that world too, right? As an alternative, as a way to store wealth outside of the, the dominant money. And so it, it doesn't need to be this, you know, dramatic thing. And if we were only looking for the dramatic singular event, we might miss the, the bigger story uh, that we've already been seeing and, and another perfectly valid reason why Bitcoin is important. Thanks for your insight, guys. No problem at all. I think we're Rome 2.0, but we, we'll see how this plays out. <laughs> well, but, but Rome collapsed slowly. I mean, there are singular events where people say the sacking of the library or the death of a particular emperor, but it was hundreds of years that it took for Rome to collapse. So I, I think I think what we're really, you know, someone could say America collapsed on August nine in August 1971. We've just been watching it bleed out in, in that sense. And I think this is zooming in and out. It, there's, it's two perspectives around the same incident. Um, it's a bad thing that we lost hard money, uh, sound, sound money, and it's been getting worse and worse. And at some point, it gets so bad that we no longer can tolerate it or that it's no longer sustainable. But it's a, it's a slow and gradual process. And we're all living through it. Okay, on that happy note, was there anyone else who wanted to leave a finishing comment? I'm going to uh, turn our attention to our featured guest of the day, uh, which, which is um, Marina Spindler of uh, Torgos Dev. Welcome, uh, Marina. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your uh, what, what your project is all about? It's fascinating. It's it's uh, El Salvador related. It's about bringing uh, people in El Salvador up to speed on Bitcoin and technological development. So it's it's really building builders uh, in El Salvador for Bitcoin, which is exciting. So take it away. So first of all, thank you. Thank you for having me for the second time as a guest. Uh, you guys were the first to reach out about our program when we launched uh, the fellow, well, the program in El Salvador. And as you mentioned, uh, since there was a change in the law, it is, uh, a very unique, unique country and unique uh, situation compared to other programs that exist in other countries and other locations. And I think that's why it made it so important to create a program where we were developing technical talent and not I mean, I know there's several programs that already exist that really just explain what is Bitcoin, what is Lightning, how do you download a wallet, the very basics so that people can use it. Uh, but but I do think that on the ground, uh, they still understand or think about Bitcoin from the top down since it was almost government mandated and came uh, from, from the top down. Uh, the goal was to make sure that Bitcoin was from the ground up again to make sure that it had the values that we uh, believe and that it was for the people from the people. And that's where we came in. I was working with Chenko Labs on building projects um, and helping them with Kala and other programs uh, to make sure that Bitcoin developers uh, were not just European or US focused and that we were going global. And in El Salvador, I teamed up with uh, local developers that were Bitcoiners before the law, which was super important to make sure that it was um, 
uh, rooted in, in, in locals that knew the system, that knew what it was about. And so we are a team of four and, uh, Ishi, Salim and Lorena are part of the team. And I'll just explain what Torogos means. First of all, Torogos is the national bird of El Salvador. It dies in captivity. And so it is a very interesting uh, combination because obviously it, means that it values freedom, right? And because Bitcoin values freedom, we thought that that was an excellent uh, symbol for what we wanted our program to signify and what we wanted it to uh, say to the world. So it's called Toro Goes Dev, and that's what we launched. And it's very much based on the Chain Code Labs methodology, which is open source, where you have the Socratic seminars and you're teaching mastering Bitcoin and then mastering Lightning. That was the first part of our program, which we started in May 2022. And the goal was obviously to show proof of work. We started with 80 students. Uh, all were developers of at least two years of experience or more. There were different levels of English uh, English, uh, understanding, but they're very savvy and, you know, translate stuff and, and they've been able to, to succeed in a lot of ways. And so mastering Bitcoin had 80 students, then uh, the ones that survived, the ones that did the work passed on to mastering lightning. And, uh, then we had 30 students in mastering lightning. And after finishing that program, we launched the fellowship, which is where we are now. And that's what I came to share with you guys. Well, that's fantastic. That's exciting. So, so do <laughs> keep going. Do tell us about the the fellowship. What's going? What what exactly is that? And uh, when's it playing out? And how's it working? So it started last month. Uh, we selected six students who were extremely um, talented. Did all the proof of work of the first two programs, and these six students have more than five years of programming experience. And have pretty decent English, uh, so they were they're able to uh, move forward. And the other uh, angle, which is very different from the programs that you will see in other countries, a because El Salvador actually has Bitcoin as legal tender, and b um, that means that we can create uh, a business plan that is local but global, right? And so that was the goal. So we partnered with a very loved uh, local brand that most of you, if you're Bitcoiners and you've been to El Salvador, you know uh, well, which is Cherito Cafe. And Cherito is a coffee grower in El Salvador who has a, like a consortium where he works with different growers in the region. And he is a Bitcoiner. He loves Bitcoin. His coffee is named Genesis. He has several coffees that are Bitcoin um, inspired, but his payment system does not integrate Lightning. Uh, in El Salvador, you know, they use a lot of Chivo or they use other systems, but as a payment system, nothing really worked very well. So the goal of the program is to create with Cherito something that works well for his business, but that could be, you know, copied by any other business in the country or globally. And that's what makes it very unique that we are trying to build what we call in Spanish Marca País, which is a country brand, if you will. And uh, coffee, any, everybody drinks coffee in the world. Everybody understands that um, we want to make sure that from the 
from the seed, which is the coffee seed, to the cup, your cup in Germany or in the U.S., that the whole system somehow has lightning integrated. So we can pay coffee growers on time. We can pay the coffee shops on time or they can pay the, the coffee growers. And the whole system is really about fair trade and about, um, you know, not waiting six, six weeks or three months for a payment to be made. It, it, it's instant and immediate. And yes, it requires a lot of uh, moving pieces, but that is the goal. And that's why we are working together with an actual business that, again, uh, follows our, our mission, which is from the ground up. And that's why, you know, what, what is more ground up than working with, with uh, coffee, coffee growers that then export abroad? There's nothing that, that can, can um, fit that mission better than Cherito Cafe and his uh, consortium of coffee growers. That's how we match together. And that is the goal of the program. Well, that's uh, that. So that's terrifically exciting. I think what what's really interesting, I guess, is in El Salvador the opportunity to create these programs of, of this kind, where there's on the on the job learning with respect to implementing and learning about uh, Bitcoin is so much different than anywhere else, where it's kind of this this where it doesn't have the legal tender status, where it is where. You have to find all these other people who might be accepting of it, where you might have to do much more in the way of educating as to why some people should accept it. You have you have this blessing, this per, this permission already, um, and that makes. I'm just curious as to what your take is on how that's how that is different, because uh, mine is merely a rational rationalization view of it. But you're on the ground there, and you're able to see it see like if you have to deal with everyone in the coffee supply chain and you're talking about bitcoin is it that much easier there in el salvador than it would be here it seems it would be it should be but it's not <laughs> honestly and that's why i think uh, we thought that this project would showcase um something that still does not exist right like it's 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 supposed to be that way but it's not just the systems for payment and the payment rails and how it's done really isn't um uh, working right now so we have tools to manage payments but they're currently relying on chivo comercio or third-party private solutions so nothing that would be satisfactory to what we believe with lightning and the capabilities of transparency that would allow you know you to know where who is who is in the payment system what's happening how the coffee growers are getting paid how this whole system benefits from the ground up and so that definitely is the goal but again it it should work but it's not working currently and that's why it's a really huge gigantic goal that we're hoping to tackle and you know we might have a lot of uh, hurdles around along the way I think uh, another important factor that might make this um, different from other programs is all of our students actually work full-time um, so they're doing this on their off time which means that um, it's taking like it's going to be more like a six month project than a two month uh, fellowship, uh, because that allows us to to utilize our time correctly, keep them 
keep the team together, make sure that we get the mentors and the, and we can ask questions if we get uh, stuck on something. The goal is to be able to manage that. And also not, I mean, this is the first time also that we're going to be asking for fundraising and, and trying to, to make sure we, we find a proper sponsor for the program because, you know, there's a lot of uh, projects out there that are asking for, for, for money every five minutes, right? They're like, oh, send us your sats and send us your money. And here we're doing this. And here there's going to be a very concrete, uh, like we did not do any fundraising until we showed the proof of work. We showed that there was uh, students that were able to take on this challenge. And uh, from what I remember in Kala, which I thought was, is one of the most amazing projects out there, their first year there had 13 um, fellows from Africa and if you can, if you want to make a comparison, having six from just one country, El Salvador, is uh, quite a, a feat already. It's kind of exciting for us to have six uh, six fellows to go through this journey with us. And if you want to compare that way, um, the goals that we're trying to reach, that is a, a really interesting number that we have for now. And obviously, we want to repeat this in different years, uh, right? That we're going to do the Mastering Bitcoin, Mastering Lightning uh, next year as well uh, with a, a, a fellowship later. But the fellowship, we do want to make sure that it's business focused so that we are showing how money and Bitcoin and Lightning work and, and, and showing the world that how it really makes you, like everybody who accepts credit cards, you're living in this fantasy or purgatory of pretend profits, right? Because you have to wait three months or two months for your provider to pay you. But with Lightning and with Bitcoin, it's immediate. It's, in the, it's instantaneous. And I think that that's going to be something that only El Salvador, only Torogos, only Cherito Cafe will be able to prove to the world. And hopefully, right? Hopefully that is our goal. Well, I'm sure you'll be able to accomplish it. I am curious in terms of um, how, like, how you're managing the project and who's overseeing it and what sort of advisors you may have or mentors you may have. If you're able to elaborate a, a little bit on that, like how, wh- where are you at in the process and, and uh, where do you expect to be and, and may- maybe what are obstacles that you're facing that, you're, that you need to overcome right now? So sure, I think uh, we, if you go to torgos.dev, you can find out about the program in general and obviously the list of mentors, which is incredible. We've been very fortunate to have really uh, thoughtful people that are part of the, the, the program, like Jordi and Pablo and Bruno and Francisco and Josie and many others that have joined and helped throughout the Mastering Bitcoin, Mastering Lightning program. So that's where we've really reached out. Um, the team locally are programmers. I am not a programmer. Um, but so my role has been to be more the outside voice of Torogos to recruit the mentors, figure out um, who else can can support the program. The, also explaining the mission of the program to the world and why it's important that El Salvador succeeds, if you will, right? Because if El Salvador is the country that has Bitcoin as a um, legal tender, we want to make sure that it's working and not just uh, still on like the potential of Bitcoin. And so that's the goal and the role that I've taken on, trying to make sure that 
A, we get the mentors and uh, and tell the world about our mission and, and why it's important that El Salvador succeeds. And then the local team, their programmers, they're the ones that are actually teaching the course, uh, explaining it in Spanish if necessary, making sure that the students are on task, that they're learning Rust, that they're learning, you know, all the all the requirements for the nodes and managing the node and and answering the day to day and so that's the the value and of the teamwork that we've made um the international voice and they're the local on the ground grassroots people we also uh, host a couple of events that are for our fellows, but also open to other people so they know what's happening, what we're building, and that we may possibly obviously recruit more developers and create a bigger workforce um, because several companies came to set up shop, several Bitcoin companies came to set up shop in El Salvador, and the main complaint was that there was no local developer talent. And I disagree with that version. I, I think we need to uh, mentor and teach them about Bitcoin because they already know how to program, but they may not understand Bitcoin and Lightning. And so that's uh, part of what the work we need to put in to make sure that that the local programming community uh, understand these, these uh, technologies and can implement them uh, so that it doesn't stay as a government um, a vision or mission, but it actually reaches banks and coffee growers and and shops and it doesn't just stay in bitcoin beach correct yeah so so what's what's been your motivation or what is your vision it sounds like you're starting to really describe your personal vision for how how bitcoin uh permeates its way through el salvador you've got to push from the top down from the government but now you need a ground a ground up solution as as you're saying where do you see this initiative going you know once once this is a success like what are the next phases that you that you see it headed into so so and, and, and what's become <laughs> maybe i could also just ask at the same time to think but so what's become of the 80 people who went through the first program and the 30 people who went through the second sure one? so uh, i'll tell you a little bit about myself as well so that it, it kind of ties into why we're doing this. Um, I was born in the U.S., but grew up in South America. So I've seen very different uh, financial systems, government systems, have seen banks work, banks not work, uh, defaults, all sorts of things in my life, right? And so, um, yes, I now live in the U.S. and I'm, I, I have access to banking. But for example, right now I'm in Mexico and I was talking to people and they're telling me, oh, I just heard from the bank. They want to give me a, a credit card with 70% interest rate. <laughs> and this is super common in, in Latin America. And I think that, that that's what we're fighting against. And we're trying to change how uh, money is uh, available to people, especially uh, people who don't have the means to pay to, to, you know, to pay off their credit card right away or to have access to finance or have access to, to anything. And, and also the other side of myself is I actually studied public policy. And so to me, the transparency of Bitcoin, the uh, immutability of the ledger, the fact that it's money that can go global, that, you know, you're not having to transfer and lose 20% of your money when you send money abroad. These, uh, these, this is what brought me to Bitcoin. This is what brought me to the space. Um, 
And so when I saw this top-down movement in El Salvador, uh, you know, it was revolutionary. It was incredible. I clapped completely with, uh, with how the country changed their, even just the global perspective of El Salvador. It was all gangs and jail and, and bad people and, and really, really scary. Anything El Salvador sounded scary. And now it's the Bitcoin country. Now people are moving back. It's very exciting but at the same time, it's still not working. It's still not actually being implemented. People still convert their Bitcoin to dollars if they do actually receive the Bitcoin, because obviously it's mandated. Uh, so the goal is to actually make it a reality, not just, uh, you know, what is spoken, but actually used. And that's where I was like, okay, I don't like this. I don't like how this is happening. I don't agree with with. Um, that when it's just, um, like, uh, you know, when it's just, uh, like a marketing, right. It, it, it has to move from the marketing stages to the, um, implementation. And so that's where I came in with that project. And that's why we recruited and worked with locals who are on the ground that are developers that understand Bitcoin before the law. And so there is when we, we, you know, I think like with everything with proof of work, that what that's the question with your 80 students and going down to six, you know, not everybody could follow along. Not everybody did the homework. Not everybody was as passionate. And so what you're looking for is who really cares about it, who really wants to create change, who has the technical skills as well, uh, because it is obviously very complex, a lot of um, moving pieces and knowledge that you have to have. Uh, so who is going to do the work and who wants to go on that journey with you? And uh, that's why, yes, you start with 80 and then you, tr you figure out who, who's doing the work, who is paying attention, who is asking questions, who's created their first PR or have communicated with mentors, really, really gone above and beyond. And that's, we also test them. So they had to download, um, um, their own node, uh, do a program, and and based on who did the homework, who uh, went through those steps, that's how we selected the final six students to go on this uh, last journey with us. Super, thank you. We, we've run out of time for today. I'm sure we we're, we want to keep uh, tabs on the progress of your project, and so we'll, I'm sure we'll have you back again uh, sometime soon. I want to thank everyone uh, who participated in today's show. I, I do myself have to run. Uh, to another meeting or we'd go a few more minutes longer but i want to thank uh, i do want to thank everybody everybody all the listeners uh you have been listening to cafe bitcoin a great place the place for morning news the preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the bitcoin industry i'm trying to go by memory here it is a podcast that you can find on found spotify and apple uh, i want to give thanks to swan who sponsors the show makes it all possible uh, all the crew who shows up here regularly, many of whom are still on stage with us, Ant, Peter, Sets for Life, Wicked, Producer Jacob, thank you all very much, uh, Alex, who regularly hosts the show, everyone who participates and contributes, um, thank you all. Uh, everyone get on the mission, and uh, one last thought that Alex always closes off with, which is just, uh, don't shit coin, it's bad for you. <laughs> <laughs>